Let us turn in God's word this morning to Psalm 101. Psalm 101. read this in connection with Lord's Day 41 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which treats the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Psalm 101, entitled a Psalm of David. I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing, and will behave myself wisely In a perfect way, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired words. May God add his blessing upon the reading of the Holy Scriptures. It's on the basis of Psalm 101 and many other passages of the Scriptures besides that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 41. Lord's Day 41, question 108. What doth the seventh commandment teach us? that all uncleanness is accursed of God, and that therefore we must with all our hearts detest the same, and live chastely and temperately, whether in holy wedlock or in single life. Doth God forbid in this commandment only adultery and such like gross sins? Since both our body and soul are temples of the Holy Ghost, he commands us to preserve them pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste actions, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever can entice men thereto. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the seventh commandment is a commandment, sadly, that Western culture ceases to care about keeping. With regard to a number of the other commandments, especially the commandments found in the second table of the law, 
Western culture still gives some credence unto them. For example, thou shalt not kill. And in Western society, there still is generally a respect for the life of the neighbor and a desire to keep that, though we understand abortion to be a great evil of the day. Or thou shalt not steal. Generally, Western culture respects the property of the neighbor and law enforcement will punish you if you steal from the neighbor. But with regard to the seventh commandment, Western culture no longer cares about keeping that law. This is a relatively recent development. A few generations ago, Western culture had a lot more respect for this law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It was generally frowned upon to live together before marriage. It was frowned upon to have homosexual marriages. But in the last couple of decades, there has been a shift in Western culture, especially here in the United States, where the world in which we live now puts their stamp of approval on violations of the seventh commandment. Sin is openly celebrated. There's approval given in our society of breaking the seventh commandment. And we see in this that God is giving this nation over unto wickedness. God does this as part of His judgment upon the nation. As God gives Western culture over unto this particular sin of breaking the seventh commandment, she becomes more and more ripe for judgment. And so we will not find in the world around us instruction about the seventh commandment. We will not find in the world around us a calling to be pure and be holy. We will not see this taught in the public schools of the world. But it is in God's word that, that we are found this calling given to us as God's children, a calling to be holy, a calling to be pure, a calling to guard our hearts and our minds. So let us consider this morning the seventh commandment under the theme, commanded to live chastely. First, we'll consider the commandment itself. Second, the motive that we have for obedience and then third, the Word. We'll consider specific passages from the Word of God as they apply to the Seventh Commandment. This commandment forbids all sexual uncleanness. The Catechism speaks of that 
Answer 108. What doth the seventh commandment teach us? That all uncleanness is accursed of God, and that therefore we must with all our hearts detest the same. When the Catechism speaks of uncleanness or the positive calling to be clean, the cleanness that is spoken of here is a spiritual cleanness. It's a cleanness that is synonymous with purity in heart and mind and body. It's a cleanness that is, is, is required of, of us that arises out of our souls. It's not just an outward purity, though that is required of us, but it's something that begins already within our hearts and within our souls. Struggles against sexual uncleanness are struggles that for most children of God are powerful struggles and lasting struggles. Uncleanness is a temptation against which the, the Christian must fight, not just for a season of his or her life, but against which he must fight for the entirety of his or her life. Male or female, single or married, old or young, all must battle against sexual uncleanness. This is a lifelong struggle for the child of God because of the way in which God formed us in the beginning. God created Adam and Eve in the garden with desires. He created Adam with a desire to be with a woman. And so God shaped for Adam that woman. And God brought Adam and Eve together as husband and as wife. Adam found satisfaction in his wife. Adam delighted in his wife. And likewise, Eve found satisfaction in and delighted in her husband. In the garden, before sin entered into this world, that desire that was found between Adam and Eve was a holy and a pure desire. The Scriptures tell us that they were naked and not ashamed. So this desire that God created Adam with in the beginning was not a wrong desire. It wasn't a base or an evil desire, but it was part of how God had shaped man in his goodness to be. But then, with the entrance of sin into the garden, that good desire has now become corrupted. And so it is that man, instead of seeking satisfaction within the holy state of marriage, now seeks to satisfy the base desires of the flesh outside of the bounds of marriage. 
For as long as we live upon this earth, we will have to continue to fight against sexual temptations. And so it is that God comes to us and says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. The Heidelberg Catechism in answer 109 lists out a number of things that are forbidden. The second half, therefore he, God, forbids all unchaste actions, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever can entice men thereto. All unchaste actions are forbidden. Included in this is certainly the physical act of fornication or adultery. Included included in this is watching others commit the act of adultery and fornication. So easy to find with the technology of the present day. Sometimes you're not even looking for it. And there's the image of a scantily clad individual. The psalmist in Psalm 101 says in verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. May that be the resolve of every sincere Christian. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. If there is anything in this image that would entice me, anything that would cause me to stumble, then I will remove this image from in front of mine eyes. The Catechism includes as well whatever can entice men thereto, that is, whatever can entice men to fall into this sin. And here is a plea for the Christian woman to adorn herself in a modest way. A woman has great power over the male. God created males in such a way that they are visual creatures. And so the woman, either by dressing in a modest way or by dressing in an immodest way, can go a long way in either helping the Christian brother or enticing the Christian brother to fall into temptation. Whatever can entice men thereto. And then the Catechism goes on to teach us that this is a matter of the heart. Catechism speaks of thoughts and desires. And that's where obedience to the seventh commandment must begin within our hearts and in our souls. Is your soul pure? Are your desires pure? 
It's possible for a while that man can curb and restrain outward behavior that he knows is ungodly, but if his heart is not changed and if his soul is not pure, then he will inevitably fall again into that same sin. Where is your heart and where is your soul? If throughout the course of the day, the man or the woman is entertaining evil thoughts and evil desires in the heart, then that man or woman, by virtue of having those thoughts, is guilty already of having broken the seventh commandment. Jesus said in Matthew five twenty-eight, Whoso looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is where affairs begin. This is where infidelity in marriage begins in the heart. The affair does not begin in the workplace. The affair does not begin in the gym. The affair does not begin at the bar. But the affair begins in the heart. When one is dissatisfied, when one is upset about the circumstances of his or her life, when one perhaps even has grudges in his or her own marriage and does not seek to resolve those difficulties in marriage, that's where the affair begins. Positively, God requires of us in this commandment that we live chastely and temperately, whether in holy wedlock or in single life. To be chaste is to be pure, to be holy, to be devoted unto the Lord with a perfect love. The highest and the perfect example of purity is found in Jesus Christ, who loved the church with such great and pure love that he gave himself for that holy congregation. And so the question then is, or the standard that God sets before us is Jesus Christ. Do we pattern our lives and our marriages according to that perfect marriage that Jesus has established with the church? There's a calling that God gives to those who are in holy wedlock to live chastely and temperately in that state. That means then that we must give of ourselves to one another in the state of marriage, not withholding ourselves from one another, but giving to one another. There's a calling then to invest in our marriage. I seek to understand one another in marriage. To dwell with one another. First Peter 3 verse 8. To dwell with one another in an understanding way so that we can understand more and more what our the unmet desires of the spouse. 
And then, not just to understand one another, but even physically to give ourselves unto one another in the holy state of marriage. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And we must live chastely and temperately as well in the single life. Not just in holy wedlock, but a word to those who are single. And here we must confront a type of thinking that can be found among, sin, among single people. And that type of thinking is this, that Someday in the future, when God gives unto me a spouse, then I will be holy. Then I will be pure. But for now, because God has not given unto me a spouse, one can seek to justify within himself certain impure desires, thoughts, or even actions. Justifying it that, well, I don't have a spouse yet, and so there needs to be some place where I can find satisfaction, carnal satisfaction. So I'm only going to permit this behavior for a while, for a season, but then when I get married, well, then that behavior will come to an end. Then I will be able to find satisfaction in my spouse. But that type of thinking is wrong. Single persons. It's wrong because the command of God is always the same. Whether married or single, the command of God, the Word of God is, thou shalt not commit adultery. Difficulty to keep this commandment does not justify breaking this commandment. But as well, that's a wrong type of thinking because if one lives under that type of mentality that some level of promiscuous behavior is permitted as a single person, but then once I get married, then that promiscuous behavior will end. You are deceiving yourself. Instead of that sexual, sexually promiscuous behavior ending at the time of marriage, what oftentimes happens is the single person takes with him or her those sexual sins into marriage. And now instead of just one person being hurt by those sins, you Now you hurt your spouse by those sins. Already now, in the single life, God calls you to live chastely and temperately. And if one is discouraged in this, if one says, well, I have tried 
I have battled hard against this, and yet I find that I cannot overcome this particular struggle in my life. I see no progress. I commit the same sin week after week, month after month. I cry out unto God for forgiveness, but then I fall and I stumble back into that same sin again. And I call you to trust the God who is evil. Ephesians 3, evil to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even think. Seek help from Jehovah God. Seek help from trusted persons in your life, parents, elder, pastor. And God will give grace. God will give strength through the means of grace to overcome that sin. For what motive ought we to keep this commandment? We need regular reminders of the motive of why we must be pure and holy. We need these regular reminders of why we are to be pure and holy because of what we said earlier in the first point that this particular sin is one that never goes away. With regard to the seventh commandment, we generally understand what is required of us. We understand that God requires of us not to commit the act of adultery. We understand that pornography is forbidden. We understand that flirtatious behavior with anyone who is not our spouse is forbidden of God. We know that this sin is a gross and a vile sin. It's a sin that leaves one feeling empty, ashamed, and guilty after the act. It's a sin where the consequences of it can last a lifetime, where one has a tarnished reputation, or one has guilty memories of that sinful deed that was committed. And yet all that knowledge notwithstanding about what God forbids in this commandment, the reality is we still struggle against it. Young people still push the limits of what is acceptable. Men must still struggle against guarding their eyes and setting no wicked thing before their eyes. Women must still struggle against entertaining evil thoughts within their minds or reading novels which contain explicit descriptions of bedroom scenes. And so if it is the case that we know that this is forbidden of us by God, and yet the reality is we still struggle against it, then we must go beyond, beloved, simply stating this is wrong, simply enforcing God commands us not to commit adultery, but we need regular reminders of why it is that God forbids us from adultery. What is the motive? 
What is God teaching us in this commandment? Two truths that we consider that God is revealing unto us in this seventh law. First, we see that Jehovah God is the God of perfect and steadfast love for His people. Jehovah God is faithful unto His own. He is perfectly faithful. He is always faithful. Jehovah God's love for His people is not a conditional love. It is not a love that depends upon the worthiness or the desirability of those who are the objects of His love. God does not put stipulations or conditions in place and say that if you are faithful and if you are holy, then I will love you. But His love for us is a love that never changes throughout all of the seasons of our lives. His love for us began in eternity when He chose us to be His own. His love for us was proven to us at the cross when He sent His only begotten Son to die for the sins of His people. His love is given unto us through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, who spreads abroad the love of God within our hearts. And according to the 8th chapter of Romans, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Neither life nor death, neither principalities nor powers. He is the God who is never unfaithful, unto His own. The God who never entertains the thought of putting away His people and choosing someone else to love instead of His own. It is this God of perfect, steadfast, covenant love who comes to you and says, Do not commit adultery. Behold my selfless love for you. Now you live in purity and holiness. In love for me as God. And in love for the spouse whom I have given you. The second motive that we see here standing behind this commandment is this, that the Christian's body is the temple of the living God. The Catechism speaks of that in answer 109, since both our body and soul are temples of the Holy Ghost, he commands us to preserve them pure and holy. We saw this truth just last week in Ephesians chapter 2. You, you who are the church, are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. 
2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God dwells in us spiritually. He gives unto us the quickening, the enlivening, the comforting spirit of Jesus Christ. This is why God gives unto us the seventh commandment. He has a vested interest in our behavior, not simply by virtue of the fact that he, as the sovereign creator, has shaped us, but also he has a vested interest in our behavior by virtue of the fact that he, as our redeemer, dwells within us by his Holy Spirit. That's why God tells us don't commit adultery because God dwells within our bodies and in our souls. Let this truth, beloved Christians, be on your minds. Recall it to the forefront of your minds often that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. May the knowledge of the fact that God dwells in you give unto you strength to restrain you from impure and unholy thoughts, words, and actions. When we are tempted with temptation, confronted with temptation, when we are tempted to have lingering eyes, when we are tempted to click upon the image or the video, may the knowledge of the indwelling Spirit of God convict us and give us strength to resist and turn away. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And then as well, may the knowledge that our bodies are the temples of the holy God give to us a proper understanding of our worth our value, and our beauty. The temptation is to evaluate one's beauty, one's worth, merely from an outward and physical point of view. Especially young women are pressured in this way. There is set before them the world's standard of physical beauty, And then the young woman is pressured through advertising, through the television, through social media, that she must live up to those standards. And oftentimes those standards are well nigh impossible. And then if the young woman judges that she does not live up to those standards of outward physical beauty, then the young woman can feel that she's undesirable, that she is not wanted. And then in desperation, 
lowers her standards and is more willing to compromise on the seventh commandment because she does, does not judge herself to be beautiful. May the knowledge that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit give to us the certain assurance of our worth, our beauty. May we know that we are desirable not because of who we are by nature, but we are desirable because God has given us the Spirit of Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 3 speaks of that reality whose adorning, speaking of the wife, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be, let your adorning, let, let your beauty be this, the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. That's your value and that's your worth a meek and a quiet spirit. Let us consider then a few passages from the Word of God which speak directly about this seventh commandment. There's a word here in the Scriptures for those who are living in impenitent violation of the seventh commandment. The word of God to you is, in the first place, behold the seriousness of this sin. It is a sin that leads to emptiness, to misery, to death, and even to hell. Proverbs 5. Verses 4 and 5. But her end, speaking here of the end of the one who goes with the promiscuous woman, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell calling of God to the one continuing impenitently in this sin is remove your feet from this sin lest Proverbs 5 verses 9 and 10 lest thou give thine honor unto others and thy years unto the cruel lest strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors be in the house of the stranger the calling from the Scriptures is repent and turn from such ways of wickedness. 1 John 1, verse 8, If we say we have no sin, 
we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. With regard to the seventh commandment, the scriptures do not call us to stand there and battle intimately against this sin, but the scriptures call us to run as far and as quickly as possible away from this sin. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, flee fornication. The Heidelberg Catechism calls us to detest it even as all uncleanness is accursed of God. And then a word of God to those who are broken in their hearts for sins which they have committed against the seventh commandment. We understand that there can be intense feelings of guilt for such sins that are Committed. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, the second half. Every sin that a man doeth is without, that is, outside of the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. To those then who feel that sense of shame for having committed sins against the body. Hear then the words of Jesus Christ as he spoke to the woman who was caught in the act. Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. John 8, verses 10 and 11. And then a word to those who sinned long, long ago but who still struggle against feelings of guilt and shame for those sins of many years ago. Plead with the psalmist. Psalm 25, verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me. For thy goodness sake, O Lord. And then hear the answer of the Lord in Isaiah 40, 43, verse 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. To all, who give seer a sincere confession of sin. Hear the word of God in 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Let us pray.
Our Father and our God in heaven, we come before thee as thy children. We come before thee convicted of sins which we have ungodly committed against thee. We come before thee sorrowful, crying out unto thee for forgiveness. We come unto thee with the confident expectation that for Jesus' sake thou wilt hear and answer our prayer. That thou give unto us the white robes of righteousness, make us to be pure and holy in thy sight. Send us home with thy blessing. For Jesus' sake we pray this. Amen.